When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, welcome to the Transfer Window Podcast with me, Henry McRae. I'm joined by Graham Hunter in Barcelona and uh, Duncan Castles, our resident transfer expert. We're here today to talk about the uh, latest moves in the transfer market and the biggest one is the biggest ever this week and that's the news that Neymar is moving to Paris Saint-Germain and we've got a man on the spot in Barcelona to tell us how it's going on, uh, how it's going down there. Graham? Well... Good morning, H. It's it's largely you could write your script. Um, the details maybe I can help with, but when a player leaves um, a club like this, a proud club like this, some would say, and I think potentially accurately, a complacent club like this, it stings. One of the, the things that would characterise Barca fans is that many of them think that they they live in heaven, not earth. There's this expression here which they used to try and sell the deal to persuade David Beckham to come uh, back in 2003, I think it was, when Laporta won the elections. Sandro Rosé was the vice president then. He stood up and was asked at this presidential rally, um, how the heck are you going to persuade David Beckham to come here instead of Real Madrid when the price has been agreed with both clubs to Manchester United? And Rosé stood up and said, listen, you know, Catalonia has everything, the sun, the mountains, uh, beach, uh, countryside, a beautiful big city. And that, everything is here. We don't need anything outside Catalonia. Mentality permeates right to the fans. And this concept that not only do their great stars uh, leave them, but leave them consistently early. If you go through a list of Luis Milla, um, Laudrup, Romario, uh, Figo, um, when when you know Ronaldo left in possibly the greatest form of his career, um, in Bobby Robson's reign after just a year, it, it's something. Maradona is another name. Neymar has given them um, for seasons. There have been trophies won. The the power, the magnetic power of the front three, uh, has been good for their image for their marketing. But when Neymar chooses to leave. There's this sense of slight, this sense of a raw wound with salt in it. And when he chooses to leave for a, a league, never mind the club, let's take the club separately, Henry, when Duncan and I chew over the what next and, and the how to analyse what's coming. The, the fact that the, the French league is inferior to the Spanish league is absolutely clear. And therefore, there's a sense of being slighted. There's a sense of, there's not that absolute yet, yet, outflowing of stupid words in football like treason and treachery and all that kind of cack that I've got no time for given the state the world's in but there is there is a sense of a big I mean listen if if anybody listening to us right now you both are are old enough to remember dad's army and the, pomp, <laughs> and the pompous Captain Manring when anybody said or did anything that he didn't agree with that pompous little face well, that's what the Barcelona fans are feeling right now. So they're a bit, they're more hurt than angry at the moment, you would say? I think definitely, because if you, if you, if you, if you try and strip it down, uh, H, if you try and look at, look at the thing that, that Figo did, the, the, what made people most angry, clearly in, in this part of the world, was that he went to the most bitter enemies. But he went to the bitter, most bitter enemies having about three weeks before said, no chance, never. And playing in his, you know, his final fixture or, or, or the last time you've seen the Barca jersey on, kissing the badge. Now that to them, uh, not to me, but that to them constituted outright treachery, treason. And therefore, the the virulence that was that was he was drenched in by the Barcelona fans was completely different to what's happening so far with Neymar. But I think there's another point. Um, 
he hasn't been here playing in the camp now. So that that fan referendum that all three of us are used to, for, for good or bad, um, ha- hasn't taken place. Secondly, he may have deserted, but he didn't go AWOL. Look at the tour. One of the things that Neymar still stands accused of is that he's he's got this Peter Pan mentality. He, he is not your hard-nosed, dedicated, get out of my way, I'm going to be the best professional and I'm going to make sacrifices to make sure that my team is the elite and I'm the elite. He's a guy who's been born with enormous gifts and he's like a freestyler. You know, the, the, his ability to move into this hot-dogging you see on TV shows like Soccer AM with a football and doing tricks, his appreciation for that as opposed to his appreciation for what it takes to be a Champions League winning player and a World Cup winning player and a Liga winning player over and over again is very slight. And therefore, you could have said that with all of this going on, that and and many footballers have done it before, Duncan will be able to cite names, Duncan will have had experience of people doing this, that very many players, knowing that they're going to move, sign off, sign off two, three, four weeks early, or indeed, you know, punch their way out of a club by, you know, crapping on the staff or bad mouthing the 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 club in, in, in public. And then what Neymar did was he got himself fully ready for the preseason tour with his mind already clear that he was going to Paris Saint-Germain and of his own volition. And he, he scored three goals that took him to their first two victories of events in Manchester United. And then he set up the winner in the third game against Real Madrid, coincidentally for PK for the 3-2 other preseason games. But he, he, he that... Um, Molotov effect that you're fishing for about uh, are the natives rioting on the street and carrying pitchforks and torches towards the camp now offices to say, you know, show us Neymar so that we can, um, you know, we can we can toast him. That, that hasn't happened yet. Uh, gradually it will if he comes back with Paris Saint Germain in the quarters or the semis of the Champions League. Shoot, Barca, get that far. Um, then maybe we'll revisit this this um, this conversation, Henry. But right now, the focus of ire is on his father, who seemed to be a meddler and a, and a greedy man and somebody who's misguided his son by, by the fans who phone TV stations or radio stations or write into papers or that I meet. Uh, the focus is, is on him and is on Bartomeu as the president and the head of the board saying, how have you allowed this to happen? So, so uh, Duncan... Graham's talking about Neymar's preparation there as though it was, you know, almost a realistic option that he he, he wouldn't go. He was certainly preparing for a season with Barcelona. They, this transfer deal has is, is rolled on for quite a while. It looks like it's finally coming to a conclusion. How's it unfolded? Well, I mean, I think there's one thing to say there. He, his preparation, the going on the Barcelona pre-season tour was very much forced upon him as a way of um, looking after his father. Um, so that this deal has been in place as far as Neymar, uh, Neymar's father, who, who I believe is now known as Nepam uh, in Barcelona circles, um, for weeks now. Um, one, of the, one of the aspects of, of what happened with Dani Alves when, um, when Paris Saint-Germain hijacked his move to Manchester City was that Neymar was directly involved in that. In fact, Neymar, I'm told, was calling Dani Alves to persuade him to join him at Paris Saint-Germain. I mean, this is a couple of weeks before this this, uh, transfer actually came to light in in, in the public domain. So, it was set up. Um, He had to go on this Barcelona pre-season tour because he had to remain a Barcelona player until the end of last month so that his father would uh, receive the the commission he'd um, earned, in inverted commas, for getting uh, Neymar to sign a new contract uh, last year. The other aspect I think is fascinating to me is how badly Barcelona seems to have handled this. I mean, it's, it's no secret that Neymar has been unhappy at the club. Um, for a long time and, and sought to move else somewhere where he would be the main man. And when he signed that new contract, um, I think it was October last year it was made official, the, the people I was talking to about that deal said, this, this is a sticking plaster. I mean, this is a compromise um, 
to keep him there for one more year and to ensure that if he does leave, Barcelona will get more money for the deal. He is in no way committed to this club for five years. The, the issues that are ongoing about his position within the team, his desire to become uh, the, the, be seen as a top player in the world and, and, and the necessity to do that elsewhere, didn't go away when he signed that new contract. Yet, Barcelona managed to present this when it came to light as something that one wouldn't happen. I think one of the quotes from a Barcelona director was 200% um, Neymar stays at the club. And, and two, something that was impossible to happen and therefore made themselves look like, as, as Graham points out, they, they, they'd had it done against their will. Whereas in, for me, the sensible approach to this would be to lay on Neymar to say, well, we tried our best to keep him. Um, we weren't able to. He drove this move. We're getting 222 million euros as a sales price, which is more than double anyone's ever received for a footballer before. Um, we need to reinvest this money in the team. We're going to spend it wisely, and we're going to we're, we're going to produce a better Barcelona side off the back of it. Instead, it, you know, they they seem completely on the back foot. And, you know, as Graham has mentioned, the, the president has put himself in a, in a very difficult position in what is a political club. So they've, they've got a lot of money coming in. Um, well, well, listen, H, Duncan's moved the, moved the debate there into a, into a really fascinating area, which is the far, you know, the minutiae, the science of it. And I have to say, I back him in terms of their you know, myo the myopic nature, because just to put flesh on some of the bones there, when, when Duncan mentions a, a, um, a and a director, vice president, talking about 200%, that was just a couple of weeks ago. That's how myopic yeah. they've been. Um, and I think as well, you know, it's very clear that when, although we're now, we have to be careful, all of us, always need to be careful with respect, not to sound like, you know, Monday morning quarterbacks, so right now, double the, the existing transfer fee seems low and ludicrous, but double the existing transfer fee was all that they could get out of Neymar because Neymar and his people uh, knew right then that they wanted their liberty. And the power seat, when those negotiations were being held from last summer until the autumn for Neymar's new contract to assuage him, to persuade him not to go to United, to persuade him not to go to Paris Saint-Germain, the power seat was held by Neymar and, and he, him and his people. And not that I'm backing him in any way. They were going, well, no, we, we don't want... The, the way that that um, algorithm works is that the higher your salary, the higher you can demand that the release clause is, the higher the salary you're paying to a player. And they just they, they refused it. And you can see why they refused it now. But, you know, when you talked about Barcelona got a lot of money, only in the way that we inherently talk about football the, the the amount of profit on this deal is very 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 low so they have money they have money coming in which is at their disposal but they you know only through amortization and, and only through the way in which football consistently spends on the never never have they got that money if you take what they've now admitted from having been at their start point from robbing Real Madrid efficiently, I have to say, of signing Neymar, the start point was saying that it cost him 30 million euros. Well, as the various expensive uh, legal cases went by, the last running figure that Barcelona have admitted to investing up front on Neymar is about 110 million euros. Now, you throw into that, which, and that's the investment in getting him not loyalty payments or of signing on fees to, to Neymar or his father or his father's company, um, not the legal costs. And to be fair, not potentially the outstanding costs owned to the company that uh, owned part of, that may be owed in future because it's a matter of legal proceedings. Um, they call it, the, the, the president here calls it Neymar 1 and Neymar 2 in terms of the legal cases, one of which they, they settled, they had to pay you know, they had to pay a big seven-figure sum um, to make the first legal case go away. I, I don't, I'm not going to uh, sit here with you two and, and claim to know down to the last centimo what they've spent. But of the 222 million coming in, Henry, 
I would say that we're back down towards the region of 50 million of that tops would be pure profit. And that'll shock some people because many people listening will say, well, that 220 million, that's theirs to spend. And it is if they don't want to um, put it back into the budgets from which they, you know, they've, 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 they've sort of borrowed from Peter to pay Paul. Uh, previously, it's very much a financial house of cards. So it's a it's a bad look for them to lose one of the best players in the world. Are they? Can we see them reacting by trying to make a statement signing? And is there is there well, one out there? Well, I think I mean I'm not a Barca fan, so analytically, um, in terms of what we are supposed, the three of us are supposed to do, we're supposed to be. Uh, distinct independent objective and it's therefore when I use the phrase I fear so it's to distinguish between that and what I think they should be doing I fear that because um, I, I was writing for ESPN recently the, there is an ex-presidential candidate who says he's got enough sign uh, signatures from Barca Club members to cause what effectively is a, a censure vote to censor the current board. And if 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 the voting mass, um, if that election is brought and the voting mass agrees, and and votes to censor censure the the current board, it effectively means the beginning of the end for them. And therefore, what I think they will do is exactly what you said, H. I think they'll go out and go like. Of the people who vaguely fit the profile of Neymar, which is going to be the most crowd-pleasing. And the game's mm-hmm. a bogey when you make those kind of signings. The game's a bogey when you're not saying, what does the team need? What does the squad need? What does the coach want? And then you go directly for your man. And I think that potentially the most sensible, based on what happened last season, the most sensible signing that they could possibly achieve is Verratti. But given that... Um, and hey, look out, Neymar, given that once you go to Paris Saint-Germain, there's no buyout clauses, and you're at the will of the Qatari owners, and it's a bit, you know, Hotel California. Uh, you can never leave. Um, Verratti looks very difficult to prize from that club. There's the balance. Coutinho is the one into whom they're, they're flooding almost all the resources. There are reserve names. There are other little um, transfer feelers out. But Coutinho is the one that they've decided that they want, not at any cost, but they want him now. And they've studied him for two years. They were unsure about whether they could afford him if Neymar stayed. I think they couldn't, if you take into account uh, renewing the contracts of uh, Busquets and Messi and Ter Stegen and Rakitic, they've committed to gigantic amounts of money. Luis Suarez, there's 500 million to be spent in the stadium. They couldn't afford Coutinho until until this uh, change in Neymar's circumstances come up, came along. And Liverpool now, as going back to Duncan's point, because Barcelona have been so slow to see the danger, have been so complacent, although they've got Coutinho um, in their files as the profile of player that they think they want, the fact is, they haven't worked hard enough or soon enough to guarantee that it will happen. At the moment, I think they're forty sixty against. Are you hearing anything that's uh, uh, possibly moving in the direction of Barcelona, Duncan? Yeah, look, look they, they they made an offer for Coutinho while this was going on. I think while they were still saying that that they wouldn't lose Neymar, they, had, they made the initial eighty million offer for, to Liverpool for Coutinho. And I, yeah, I agree entirely with Graham. That's he's the the first choice. He's the one they're they're pushing money into. And I, my understanding of it is it's, it's exactly that. It's the headline signing. It's the one they feel will appease the fans rather than making a more rational assessment of what their squad needs and and where they should be investing the money. And actually, we mentioned the new contract for Lionel Messi, which is to me another example of the amazing mismanagement of Barcelona because I, I, I um, wrote a story about that in the Sunday Times um, three or four weeks ago and when I was being told the numbers that Messi were getting I was just it, you, you've got to be joking me um, and not only was it you've got to be joking me because they, they told me it was 62 million euros gross um, 
when it, when we're digging into that, I was saying, okay, so Messi's won the game. Then he's he's pushed, he's pushed, he's pushed. He's got the he's got the mega salary. He's managed to get Barcelona to commit. Now the presentation was of no, we decided that he was worth this money. We decided that Lionel Messi, in our calculation, brings X percentage of our revenue of the revenue to the club. Therefore, we wanted to reward him by giving him a contract that that. Um, that represented or went some way towards representing his contribution to the revenue of the club. Now, that's all very charitable, but to, to, to give a player a contract that's hugely more valuable than the one Cristiano Ronaldo has at Real Madrid, which is already um, a kind of, uh, well, it, it was the best, the best in Europe for a long time and a precursor of, of really high salaries. To, to do that off your own back, if that's genuine, if that's was a, a, an action um, driven by Barcelona rather than forced upon them by Messi. That, there's, a third force, there's, a, there's a third force though, Duncan, and you and I, or people like us, we have to, we have to think um, about the third option. And neither you nor I are, are, are great fans of um, propping up the egos or the fallibility of those boards that we see who are gumptionless. But, you know, Messi, once they'd made the cardinal error of not negotiating with him soon enough, and I think that's their principal error because they allowed it to come to the first contacts being after he'd just won a, lost a major tournament, um, re retired from the Argentinian team in tears, <laughs> came back to Barcelona. They said, right, let's talk new contracts. And, um, you know, his response rhymed with duck and included the word off. <laughs> leave, leave, leave me alone. So, you know, backing up your your idea that they don't seem very good at this, and that they left it too late. But at the point at which they agreed that contract that you're forensically breaking down, they stood to let the best player in history, in my view, certainly the best player in Barcelona's history, leave for free next summer. So they were in a situation whereby, let's say, let's say everything you've just um, called them out for remains spot on. <laughs> so I'd throw at you. Well, what else? You know, what else do you do? And, and apart from being earlier and negotiating a better value deal by coming in 18 months previously or two months previously, the fact is, not isn't even about self interest, about like you lose Messi to a free transfer and you just kiss goodbye to any future. Every single person at that club's getting sacked in the morning not just the president and his board. But beyond that, and, this, and I think this is more a chewable one, maybe you've got a different view. I don't think anybody um, in a pure sporting sense can afford to lose Messi at 30. That, that's certainly my view. It isn't contrary to what you're arguing about maybe the specific sums and his, his, his like for like worth with Ronaldo or whether sums like that are damaging football. But I genuinely say to you, in, in, in a piece of lateral thinking, what, what the hell else? You, you, you wouldn't have let him go under any circumstance. No, if you were no, that no, president. I wouldn't, I wouldn't let, him, let him go, but I'm, I'm, t I'm taking Barcelona at their word on how they negotiated this contract. And it was, we decided to give him such a, a large scale contract <laughs> off, off our own pack. It wasn't him who forced it. And, and I'm right. sure. I'm Agreement level that they could have, they could have got to without without getting to those numbers, but yeah. I mean the other the other element of this is when they were making a decision about Lionel Messi, they were effectively making the decision about Neymar because they knew that if they wanted to retain Neymar, they had to allow him to to move into that position of being the top player at the club, and essentially that meant cashing in on on Messi and allowing him to go elsewhere, saying. Okay, we've got the best of them. We can take, well, they, they could easily calculate you being we could take 250 million off, off PSG or A and other for, for Lionel Messi. And then we can promote Neymar and solve that problem and um, build around him with, with an extra five years of, of youth there. Now, maybe they made the right calculation there. I, and from a football point of view, quite possibly they made the right calculation. Messi's a better player in my view, the Neymar will ever be. But yeah. there was a decision to be made there, and when they made that decision, they put themselves in this hole. That, that, that they're... And, and, and as you say, still didn't, even though they were, knew they were doing it, 
still didn't plan properly for it as well, just to compound the stupidity. Have, a, have your exit strategy ready. <laughs> so uh, that's another world superstar on the move and not coming to the Premier League um, in England, obviously. Then we've possibly got uh, you know one of the, of the best players in the Premier League and Philip Coutinho moving to Spain. Um, there seems to be a lot of traffic happening that isn't coming to uh, what we call the uh, uh, the best league in the world or the most exciting league in the world as it's sold. Um, but there are obviously a lot of moves happening in England as well and uh, nobody's made any bigger moves than, than Manchester City this uh, summer. Pep Guardiola spent upwards of £230 million. Um, he signed almost more, more than half of it on fullbacks. Um, what's for read on Man City and, and where they're going this summer? How, how much more have they got to spend and what can, what can we expect? Duncan, it's your honour. My honour, OK. Um, well, they're not finished by any stretch of the imagination. Um, I, think, I think the numbers are worth commenting on. Um, just looking at that, it's over 230 million committed to transfer fees alone and bonuses. That's the most any club has ever spent. And they're, they're, they've not, by their own admission, they've not got all the players they want at the moment. They've broken the record for fullbacks twice on on Cal Walker, who, um, if anyone's prepared to argue that Cal Walker's the best fullback in the world, good luck to them. And then surpassed that with Benjamin Mendy just afterwards. And for good measure, then brought Danilo in as, as a backup to those two at a price which is pretty close to what was the previous record for um, for fullbacks. Uh, Ederson for another 40 million euros, Bernardo Silva for 50, but going up to 75 million euros with, with big and easily achievable bonuses, as Monaco described it. Um, it's, it's spectacular. Um, uh, there's, there's, you know, if you think, I mean, Neymar has, has taken the headlines away the last, the last couple of weeks because it's all been chucked to one player, but what Man, Man City are doing is, is on the same scale. And in terms of total cost to the club, it's probably going to end up as, as more than, than PSG are committing on the Neymar deal once they, they get all the transfers in. Um, is, this, is, this something, is this a new thing for Pep? Or he's always spent money, isn't he, Graham? Um, first of all, it isn't him spending it. And I think Duncan accurately called it City all the way there. And I think that, you know, this it isn't our purpose this morning to, to, to break down all their financial logic because you you look at um you look at some of the ways in which they've spent if you buy uh, silver or uh, mendy from monaco if you choose to buy those footballers then there, there's no way around the price their owner's a billionaire um they're in the ultimate seller's market and the, their revenue generation for the champions league um from last season will be um extraordinary um the players are in gigantic demand and therefore they were, if, if it's not the ultimate seller's market of all time, it's pretty close. And therefore, you know, while I think, you know, Duncan's right to point out clubs can't go and uh, rip up previous form sheets and spend that amount of money without being under the microscope in terms of, do we approve? Do we agree? Is it the right value? I'd have to say, as a football um, journalist and a football lover, I separate that forensically from the coach. The coach, I think, has identified some of the right players. I think that as soon as you look at anything, you said, is it new for Pep? If you look at the way that his fullbacks have performed for him at Barcelona and Bayern Munich and their outright importance, the first column I wrote about him um, when he joined last summer was, they don't have fullbacks who are good enough, not even close to good enough. Not, not just in terms of ability, age profile, previous achievements, but football intelligence and how they're going to be able to play. And without getting too artsy fartsy, the fullbacks are uh, crucial to Pep without them necessarily looking like the stars of the team. They're crucial to the system. Therefore, if it functions, if it works, if he has a couple of trophies at the end of this season, people will probably be picking on the show players, whether it's Jesus, Gabriel Jesus or the two Silvers. 
I would say, and on the on the sort of vast legions of creative players around and behind them. But I would say that it's fully understandable why Walker and Mendy have been bought. And for me, turning the microscope on myself, I would admit that Danilo is 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 one of those very welcome players that makes you give yourself a right slap in the face and try to rethink your logic. Because when he, again, for the price that Duncan's talking about, Madrid, if you take like for like rather than overall investments in the player, like for like, they've made a profit on a player who for the first 15, 16 months of his time at Real Madrid looked like he was a competition winner. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Portugal's, got, Portugal's got talent. And, uh, you know, the housewives have voted him in and what the far, 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 far is he doing there? Because his, his position, he had the positional sense of Mark Thatcher in the desert. Do you know what I mean? He didn't have a, a GPS. He had a, he, he had, he had a PSG instead of a GPS, Danilo. Honestly, I think if you'd asked him to, you set him on a pitch, an empty pitch, and asked him to find himself, he couldn't have done it. <laughs> It, it literally was in terms of like culpability for errors in what I found. I, I genuinely found uh, the January of Zidane taking over until today to have been one of the most enjoyable, fascinating and uplifting times in the modern history of Real Madrid. I just absolutely loved it. And therefore, the poor old kid was, you know, that old Mike Reed Ugly Duckling song. He stood out because he was different because he didn't really seem to have a clue about what he was doing. It was patent from the start he was an athlete. It was patent from the start that if you got him into, if he was allowed to go into the last third of the pitch without any responsibility for what he left behind him, how he'd get back, what might happen if the ball was put long or passed through the lines quickly. Once he got up in that final third, again, it was clear that he had ability. He carried a reputation from um, Portuguese football about being extremely talented and what's his name Florentino Perez kept saying to Rafa Benita as well you know first name on your sheet every week is Danilo because he's the best right back in the world so um, the thing that makes you that makes me slap my head and sort of change um, my viewing is that the magic of Zidane was in the last four months you could see that this kid's um, confidence had been restored his idea of what his duties were had been rebooted and that without in any way looking to me like a Pep Guardiola footballer because of uh, just that uh, lack of uh, peripheral awareness and defensive duties, nonetheless, the improvement was really clear. And therefore, it still surprised me a little bit. I have to say, not that it's City. There have been eras in City's development where Danilo would have just walked straight into the team and everybody would say, that's fine, never mind his, his fallibility. Guardiola, I'm going to watch that project because Guardiola obviously feels that not only does he like some of the things he sees right now, but he can teach that fella in the way that, for example, I think people were shocked at the change in Boateng at, at Bayern Munich. And, and again, it's been palpable. So I, I'm really, really fascinated. And I'll, back, and I'll pick up something Duncan said. It's clear that... You know, one of the things that, that's, that's, again, fascinating, and I'm going to look at the underbelly rather than just the, 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 the keynote names. In midfield, they weren't good enough last season. They got rid of Fernando. But it's clear that they're putting a gigantic weight or projecting a gigantic weight of responsibility on the well-being of Gundogan, who yeah. has been cursed by injuries for, I don't know how long, maybe five years? Because without Gundogan functioning, they're not right in midfield yet, as far as I'm concerned. And company at the back, in that really expensive back five with Ederson, again, I think the importance of company, maybe not playing 55 games a season, but the importance of company being fit, again, is, is vast in terms of leadership experience, vision, athleticism, power, how much you have to rely on Otamendi, who's got pluses and minuses. So... Anyway, beyond just the spending, it's it's the it's the Danilo Gundogan, uh, Vinny Company thing that really fascinates me right now. But if these two players who are central to their hopes of success are so injury prone and you know could be missing for chunks of the season, Duncan, you're expecting City to spend a lot more. Um, is that the two positions that we're looking at 
maybe being invested in? Well, they want a, they want another striker. Um, Alexis, Alexis Sanchez obviously is, is a strong candidate for that position. They've had a go at Mbappe. They had a go at Neymar um, before deciding the fee was um, too high even for them. But you can look down the squad and there's a lot of holes in it. I mean, I, I was doing the calculations. We do it on the, the sort of basis of you want two good players for every position. They cleared out all four fullbacks, um, which they were expected to do. And it's something, you know, that, um, Graham's absolutely right. It's, the, the fullbacks are fundamental to Pep's football. And very, very early on, I think October last year, I got a shout that he wanted four new fullbacks in. Got, got the numbers wrong because we, we reckoned it would be over 100 million spent. He's got it, he's got it way over that level now. But he, he's got rid of those fullbacks. He's got rid of Kolarov, who was the fifth most used player for him in in the Premier League in terms of minute played last season. He's, he's playing, as Graham points out, a back five or three with two wing backs on the preseason games. At present, he's only got three experienced centre backs, including Vincent Company, who's, who's played about 50 games in five years. Um, and even for me, some of the signings are surprising. Graham talks about football intelligence. He's, he's gone for Walker and Danilo as, as right-backs, um, albeit after failing to get Danny Alves, who was his first choice. City, let's, let's rephrase that, City have gone for Walker and Danilo as right-backs. And uh, Graham's talked about Danilo's football intelligence. I, I, I Kyle Walker is a good fullback, but his strength is his physicality and his energy. He's not top of the game for football intelligence. So have they provided Guardiola with exactly the kind of fullbacks you'd want him to have, uh, given that they're so important to his tactical setup? I'm not sure they have. Benjamin Mendy, yes, great. Um, best attacking fullback in, in Europe, um, regardless of, of the, the fee, as long as they can keep him focused from a, a personality behaviour point of view. But in terms of his footballing qualities, fantastic. But they've still got another fullback to buy there. It's... Um, it's it's a it's a really interesting setup where you spend that much money and you're probably four or five players away from having even a full squad yet. Well, if they're spending all this money, um, you'd have to say that if you come the end of the season, if you're judging it's a success or not, is it is it a title or bust? How are we judging Pep on success this season? I, I won't go for the word bust. Um, because th there are so many things involved in that in that sort of headline idea. But looking at the the league right now, just from my personal point of view, um, I said last year that I thought it was out of reach and that it would be the greatest achievement of Pep's career if he won the title last season. I just thought there was, I, I genuinely thought there was no chance. Um, this season, I can't see a team outside United and City winning the title. I think whichever one of them finishes higher up will be champions, is, is my view. Um, it, it's absolutely clear from Guardiola's words that he doesn't expect infinite patience, that he doesn't expect um, his project to go on and on if he doesn't win, for example, or if he isn't very, very serious contender for the Champions League, which I, I think is, certainly I, I would be careful to put my hat in the ring right now. It looks dubious for a newly constructed project. But it's a very odd tournament and very odd things are happening at the top of European football for my money right now. So I'm not touting them as Champions League winning candidates, but um, in terms of the title, for this to be in anywhere near um, an acceptable season for all the major players on the scene, I don't mean the footballers, um, at Manchester City, they either need to be, you know, in the title race up to the last week and in the Champions League, last four, last two. Otherwise, um, it's a demonstrable setback. To say that, that the project has failed, when by, by Duncan's own explanation there, there's been a mass investment now. He bucked the trend at Barcelona when there was a mass investment but from the same football director, Chico Bagheristein, in... Um, 
in 2008 and they went out and won the treble. That was bucking the trend. That shouldn't be regarded by anybody as the norm. But boy, they have to be, they have to be pugnaciously challenging for all the major trophies and also playing consistently, which they didn't do last season in order for this first season, this first season of the new project not to be regarded as um, misspent. I mean, I, I don't, I don't think it's title or bust. I, I think Abu Dhabi are extremely patient owners who have consistently, since they bought that club, um, delegated responsibility to who they believe are the best professionals to run it in all departments. And their their system has been: we hire you, we think you're the best, we will back you to the hilt to allow you to perform. If you fail to perform, we'll move on to someone else. So. Um, and, and this is, you know, this is the biggest backing ever. This, you know, Guardiola has had this club redesigned to attract him to the club and to allow him to perform at the best of his possible level. So to to dump him after two years if they fail to win the title this year would be odd. Um, and I would also say that that this rebuild actually makes it harder to win the title in the first season. If, if you're changing over this many players in one summer, it doesn't matter how much money you spend. You've got to get them to integrate as a group. And, and as, a, as I've pointed out, there's four or five players still not there and we're one week away from the start of the season. So if you, if you really want to do this kind of rebuild, then you want all of those players in before pre-season starts to give yourself a proper chance to get them fit and work with them. Um, it's... I, one other point I would make about Pep Guardiola's history in football, and and bear in mind that these these transfers are joint procedures with the clubs. They're not Pep Guardiola saying I will have that player and I will have no other player, and the whole squad is built that way. But he hasn't been good in the transfer market throughout his career. This is a guy who at Barcelona managed to to sign Zlatan Ibrahimovic, um, hand hand Inter Milan. Um, Samuel Eto'o as a make weight in the deal plus 60 million euros with Inter then going on to relieve Barcelona of the Champions League title. It's, it, his strength as a, as a manager has not been in recruiting players. It's been in coaching players, devising tactical plans. It's, it's on the training ground and it's on the field. It's not been in the transfer market. That's not to say he can't develop those abilities. I would say that if you compare him to his direct rival, Jose Mourinho, Jose Mourinho wasn't brilliant in the transfer market early in his career and has got progressively better um, as, as he's gone on, as he's gained experience in it. And I think realised that at the very top level, you have to get that element right. You know, if you're moving between clubs, being able to recruit the right players and integrate them into a team is, is as important as being able to coach players, improve them as players, and do the tactical stuff on the field. It's an element of being a, of a fully rounded modern football manager. So talking of Jose Mourinho, um, Manchester United have made another signing this week um, with Matic arriving um, to the, we'll take it, the central midfield role, which we've been expecting United to, to fill. He's uh, he started the uh, transfer window open for four signings, um, one to go. Who's that going to be? There's reports this morning that uh, they've come to an agreement with Perisic uh, from Inter Milan with a loan deal and Anthony Martial going the other way. What do we know about that? Well, I mean, you said he started the transfer window hoping for four signings. He wanted more signings than four. He might be prepared to compromise in four by the end of the window. Um, and the Manumatic is, is certainly a very important one. It, that's the, a guy to, to balance the midfield, um, to, to provide a, a counterweight to Paul Pogba, to allow Pogba to, to sort of follow his instinctive path, which is to be a guy who hits long passes, plays creatively, takes risks. Um, I think uh, when he played last night, he used a formation where he had Pogba very far forward, um, playing almost just behind Lukaku, um, which was the first time he has Matic on the field to to um, hold and shield in front of the 
in front of the defence. That's the the kind of addition you've got there, and it's um, you know it's it's a player he trusts, a player he's worked with before, as he, he's talked about. It's a player who knows what he wants in the field. And another thing, which I think I, I saw someone pick up on last week, is it's another tall player. If you look at Mourinho's track record at all his clubs, he likes to have as tall a team on the pitch as possible. And I think the article I read was pointing out that of the, the seven signings now he's made at Manchester United, or seven first team signings he's made, uh, six of them have been over six foot. Um, so you add a dimension to the team, particularly in, in the Premier League, which is the, the, the central focus for Manchester United this season, when you've got a bigger, stronger team than the rest, and you can add the tactical and the skill elements on top of that. I think, um, Henry, to, to, to my mind, one of the things that I like about that signing is that if you, if you lump on top of what Duncan's been analysing there, one of the things that's characterised the best of Mourinho um, from Porto to Chelsea and spectacularly for a short time at Madrid, it's that feeling that he's got people around him in the dressing room who will batter their grannies for him, who are, who are inspired by him, who are, are you know, loyal to him. Now, Match was at Chelsea at a time when things went awry for Mourinho that very last time. But the fact that he's more than happy, eager, um, intensely eager to come and join him again speaks nothing to me about um, the finances involved in the deal or life under Conte. It speaks of Mourinho implanting into that dressing room, into that squad and into that first team somebody who resembles the way that throughout the best spells, the winning spells, the, the no-one-will-defeat-us spells um, of the remarkable parts of, of Mourinho's career. He, he's got somebody in there who I think can turn heads of those who are happy to work for Mourinho at Manchester United and happy to be playing in a better team, but maybe don't feel the special magic that was, that was so patently a, a driving force at at Porto and Chelsea and Real Madrid and Inter Milan too. I mean, you could if you throw in people like um, you know Cavallo, or if you think about um, Arbeloa, and um, if you think about uh, Materazzi at Inter and Drogba at Chelsea. I mean, honestly, they they have sold their kids in their house and their positions for Mourinho at a certain stage. He was a guru. And Matic coming to this Manchester United under those circumstances and being one of those players like, I'm a Mourinho man. I think that's very powerful for United in, in, in terms uh, that complement the, the, the tactical things that Duncan was saying. And is that enough? You're, you're saying that with the City, they're the two main challengers for this season's English title. You think that's enough to turn United into challengers or, do, or, or will you still expect no, this to be strengthened? Well, listen, let me take a sorry to be going back on this. Let me take a lateral view on this. You know, I think just like with Pep, it's a process learning about Mourinho as you're in as you're in his squad, his work practices, his strategic and tactical demands, his his moods, Pep's moods. Um, it's an intense learning process to work under these men. They're they're not identical. <sighs> They ain't that far apart in terms of the core things that they want. They've got slightly different ends in mind. And the majority of those United players, Henry, are a year a year to the better and several trophies to the better under Mourinho, plus a pre-season. I think that before you talk about absolutely guaranteed needing um, three, four more signings, I think that's a vast, vast benefit. They've got Champions League football, which makes elite players perform in an elite way from day to day whereas I think mistakenly some people some footballers imagine that Europa League is not such a challenge to them in terms of their daily standards of thinking their training the travel is an issue compared to when they play football again I think it's a big advantage not a disadvantage for United to be in the Champions League more um, I think they've signed quite well I know it's clearly established from Duncan's reporting that Mourinho, A, 
has significant other targets in mind. Uh, B, thought he'd have Perisic by now, and you can understand why. And C, is frustrated at certain people at the club for things not having happened more effectively. That said, United, with who they've developed, how they've developed, and who they've signed, look to me to be a significantly more dangerous team than they were last season. So as things stand, are we expecting Perisic to arrive? Duncan? I, I don't know if Perisic is going to be the one they get in the end. Um, I think there's still flexibility. I'm, I'm sure Perisic wasn't the first choice for that position. He's a compromise um, in the sense they thought he'd be cheaper. It hasn't turned out that way because Inter have pushed for a very high price in, a, in an inflated market. Um, I get the feeling that he's calmer now, that he's got Matic in. Um, he's been very pleased with how the pre-season's gone. I'm completely with Graham in terms of talking about the importance of getting used to the way he works and having a full pre-season. And there's, you know, you just got to look at his his track record at clubs, every club he's been at, his best season at that club in terms of success on the field has been the second season at the club. Mm. And he's won the national he's won the national title at every club he's been at in the second season he's been there, which is given given the range of clubs and leagues he's worked in, it's quite a sensational statistic. Mm. Um, yeah. I, I think this is the hardest this is the hardest to ask for him. I, I'm not so confident that, they, that this is between Manchester City and Man United. I think this is a very open, balanced league. It does help those two clubs that Liverpool and Chelsea have got to play Champions League football this season. Well, Liverpool, if they manage to make it through their playoff game. Um, but it's this is this is a this is a hard task, and you've, you've only got to look at the way Mourinho talks about it. He's very careful when he talks about his expectations for the season. Um, he probably went too far last season by saying he was he was in it to win the title. He's, he's, he kind of made a rod for his own back there uh, in being too aggressive about it. And if you look, if you listen carefully to the way he talks about things going into this season, he keeps on saying, this is tough. There's a lot of competition here. Yes, we're capable of winning it, but... Um, that doesn't mean we will win it. Okay, gents, we've covered a lot of ground. I've got one last question for you. Um, Neymar's transfer deal, new new world record, two hundred and twenty-two million euros. If Willie Miller was playing today, how much would he be worth? <laughs> not 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 even half of it. Not even half of it. Not even half of David Neary. It was only Neary's toe that made him special. <laughs> and, and I was against the Brazil game. Yeah. I was at that game, so I know. Gents, but seriously, I David, David Neary in this transfer market, he'd be straight into Manchester City number one choice. Ideal modern centre back. <laughs> Okay, well, thanks, gents. That's been a fantastic stuff. Uh, this has been the Transfer Window Podcast. You can get us on iTunes and you can uh, find us on Audio Boom. Um, please check us out again. We'll be back next week and uh, throughout the Transfer Window and maybe even beyond. Thanks very much. <laughs>